Welcome to the High Speed Podcast, the official podcast of the High Speed Alliance, taking you further, faster, together. We are setting our course for freedom and legacy through mastery of business, finance, family, and lifestyle. Welcome to the High Speed Podcast, sponsored by the High Speed Alliance. I'm your host, Dr. Forrest Bryant, and we're always focusing on how we can help our listeners and our members achieve freedom and legacy by mastering their business, finances, family, and lifestyle. And today we have a special guest on the line, Mr. Adam Barr, CPA with Miller Grossbard Advisors. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, sir? Doing, doing great. Uh, thanks for being here with us. Thank you for having me, Dr. Bryant. So uh, Adam's in, in Houston, Texas, and he's a licensed CPA, and he's a tax supervisor with Miller Grossbard Advisors. They are a full-service tax accounting and business consulting firm, and uh, they're consistently recognized as one of the best of the best. So they've got a, a really good system going, going down there, and they've been uh, highly recommended for some of the self-directed uh, IRA custodians. Uh, they, they do a good job in, in supporting them. Adam, uh, his primary area of expertise is w- with real estate taxation, tax compliance, planning for entrepreneurs and high net worth individuals, and taxation of self-directed retirement accounts. So that's one thing that we're really going to be focusing on today is talking about some self-direction and some, some taxation issues without trying to make everybody's head spin. So this is some really deep, deep uh, content today. But... Um, Adam, we could talk about a lot of different things, but first of all, before we do that, just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and and, uh, tell us about Adam. Sure. So uh, I came from North Carolina, I think I told you a little while ago. Um, I moved to Houston about four years ago uh, to start my career at Miller Grossbard. I've been with them since then. Uh, They're a great firm. They've helped me to gain a lot of experience really quickly and to progress in my career. Very happy with that. Uh, I am not married. I, I know you were going to ask me that. Uh, I'm <laughs> on my lonesome, but I enjoy that life. And uh, fun fact, uh, my favorite thing in the world to do is ballroom dance. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So, well, maybe we'll see you on uh, Dancing with the Stars one day, huh? Maybe so. Yeah, I'm working toward it. We'll see. <laughs> oh, well, that's great. That's great. Well, um, so, you know, just a, just a reminder here, I know it's going to be hard, but just a reminder, we're going to try not to go too terribly deep. Uh, we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to focus on, uh, we're going to focus on, on, on new investors, new real estate investors, maybe somebody that really hasn't done any self-direction uh, in their, in their financial planning. So we're going to kind of keep it on the high level and then we'll go to our members only section and we can go a little deeper uh, back, back there for, for our, our members that have, uh, have been doing this for a while. So we'll try to keep it from getting, getting too terribly deep on the front end. Cause anytime you get into tax and accounting, everybody's head starts spinning and, and they turn off the podcast. So we don't want that. But, um, so, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different, you know, things that, that, that you're an expert, uh, in, but let, let's just kind of start really with like self-direction. I mean, what, what, you know, what's the difference like between a self-directed and, and uh, IRA or retirement account versus just a regular one? Because everybody says, oh, yeah, I've got an IRA, but it's not, you know, they don't really understand what self-directed is. But, you know, what, what does that really mean? 
So that's kind of fun. There's a, a common misconception that a self-directed IRA or a self-directed retirement account is actually a different type of account. That's not true. Now, a self-directed IRA is actually just an IRA. What makes it self-directed is what assets you put into it, and that's basically based on who your custodian is. So, you know, most traditional IRA custodians like a Vanguard or a, a Schwab or somebody like that is only going to let you put stocks, bonds, mutual funds, traditional assets in your retirement account. Uh, there are now, uh, other custodians that will let you be a little more free with what you invest with in your IRA, and we refer to those accounts as self-directed IRA accounts. And um, a custodian that I work with very frequently uh, on these type of accounts is Quest IRA, and they are uh, located in Austin, but they work around the country. And uh, I'm very familiar with Quest, and that I have, I have multiple accounts over there, so we'll go ahead and give them a nice... Nice big shout out uh, here <laughs> on, on the show. Um, so what kind of things can you put in a, in a, in a self-directed IRA? What, what, what are those, what can you put in there? Or what can't you put in there? Sure. So the little, the literal answer would be you can put anything in there that your custodian will let you put in there. Um, <laughs> now what I traditionally, I don't, I don't want to use the word traditional. What I typically see people doing in a self-directed IRA are, single-family rentals, multi-family rentals, investments in pass-through entities like LLCs or S-corporations. Um, I see a lot of private lending going on in self-directed IRA accounts. Uh, those are really the main ones. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. So uh, now one thing that is an important thing to know if you're getting into self-direction has to do with uh, taxation. A, a lot of... Uh, uh, especially like a Roth account, that's, that's a, that you, you fund a Roth account with after tax dollars. So that, that money should not be taxed when you take it out. However, there's a, a caveat, which is what we refer to as UBIT or UBTI. So, uh, what, what, what is UBTI or, or, or UBIT? Yeah, sure. So, uh, setting aside an important note real quick, that applies to traditional and Roth accounts. Uh, IRA accounts that are used for these self-directed deals. So um, let's define our two terms real quick. UBTI is unrelated business taxable income and UBIT also referred to as UBIT is unrelated business income tax. And UBIT is basically the tax on UBTI. So for simplicity's sake, I usually just say UBTI because we're really talking about the income here and we'll refer to the taxes, basically how much of the tax on that income. Uh, unrelated business taxable income or UBTI is income basically generated by a tax exempt entity that the federal government has chosen to tax, even though that's a tax exempt entity. Uh, well, you may say, hey, that's not fair. Uh, but the reason that this tax came into existence is because if UBTI did not exist, then tax-exempt entities would actually have a competitive advantage over traditional taxable businesses, and the IRS did not want that disparity to occur. But basically, anytime you have what amounts to an operating business inside of an IRA or another retirement account, that's going to be subject to tax, and it's going to, that income is going to be considered UBTI. And then also in an IRA, 
Um, anything where you have debt financing, that's going to create UBTI. And we can go into more detail on that later. Yeah, and that was that was really my follow-up question, and I think you answered it right there. But uh, so the leverage that's used in there is is one of the triggers. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah. So basically, anytime you have a leveraged asset in an IRA, the income from that asset is going to be subject to tax, pretty much across the board. If you do, um, you know, say you buy a rent house and you leverage 75% of that rent house, then you're going to be paying tax on the income. Um, and just doubling back real quick to pick up one other thing I briefly mentioned, if you have an operating business inside of an IRA, that's going to be subject to UBTI. So sticking with the real estate example, that would be if you had uh, some kind of flipping activity, like you were buying and flipping homes inside an IRA, that would be considered a trader business and that income would be subject to uh, UBTI. Okay. Okay. That, that makes sense. And uh, I think for a lot of our listeners uh, that might be new to this, uh, they may not even understand it, that, that, that you can actually buy a rental property inside a self-directed IRA um, and that you could even leverage purchasing oh. A, a, a rental home inside of an IRA. So those are, those are uh, not well-known tactics uh, that, that, that can be done in there. So, and that's one thing that can, can create severe or not severe, but uh, incredible is a better word, incredible leverage in, inside there in a tax deferred or, or tax free environment. Um, so, you know, obviously when you're dealing with the IRS, there's some potential pitfalls that could happen here. So, you know, what, what are the things we really need to be looking for uh, if we did decide to uh, do something that may trigger uh, UBTI? So uh, automatically, when you say pitfalls to watch out for, the first thing I'm going to bring up are prohibited transactions. And I don't want to go into too much detail because we're supposed to be keeping it light and I don't want to get too excited. But <laughs> basically, if you, uh, if you self-deal with your IRA, that's a no-no. And if the IRS figures that out, then it's no longer an IRA. That entire balance of that account immediately becomes taxable as of the first day of that year. So your whole balance will be included in your income for that year. Uh, so, and we'll just do a kind of light touch on what that self-dealing would be. If you pay yourself any kind of compensation from your IRA, if you think, oh, I'm a property manager for this IRA's property, I get a management fee, and you write yourself a check out of your IRA, you can bust your IRA if the IRS finds out about that. So that's a, that's a big thing to watch out for. Okay, very good. Great tip. Um, what about uh, any other tips for minimizing that, that tax liability? Uh, sure. So really the, the key thing that's driving the, the tax liability, uh, is going to be one of two things. It's going to be the amount of your leverage, right? And the actual amount of your income. So to whatever extent we can deduct things against our income to bring it down, we're going to pay less tax. That's easy, right? So you got to remember to deduct your, uh, your account fees paid to your custodian. You got to remember to deduct tax threat fees if you're paying an accountant to prepare that tax return. And then uh, speaking on leverage, we'll just get real light on that. Um, if 
you have a house that's 75% leveraged, then you're basically going to be paying tax on 75% of that income. So if you use your excess cash to pay down the mortgage balance, you're going to end up reducing the amount of your taxable income over time. Okay. All right. That, that, that makes sense. And uh, we'll go into uh, some deeper questions when we get into the members only section there. Um, Cause don't sure. want to keep it kind of light, but um, so let's see Well, we already, we talked a little bit about, you know, what, what types of, uh, you know, like uh, private lending, uh, could private lending trigger UPTI? Well, it could, if you are uh, leveraging your, uh, your debt financing. So if you are, let's just say hypothetical example, you've got a hundred thousand dollars in your IRA and you lend that to somebody who wants to buy a home. I don't know. I'm just making something up. So let's say you've lent out that hundred thousand dollars. So now you have a hundred thousand dollar note. So what I've heard of people doing, and I haven't seen this in an IRA, but what they'll do is they'll season that note. So they'll collect payments on it for a year or a year and a half and prove that this is a performing note. And then they'll go to a lender and say, Hey, I have this performing note. You should lend me money and I will secure it with this performing note. And then they get, basically they pull their money back out and then they lend it again. But if you were to do that, then that second loan you're making that's that leveraged money. So at that point would become subject to tax. Mm hmm. Well, and we certainly want to try to avoid that. Um, so let's see. Let's let's talk about um, a, a lot of our listeners are medical professionals. Um, you know, if, uh, depending on on you know what their age is and how much the time they've got uh, till retirement. You know, how would that change the focus maybe in in what they might want to look at doing in their self directed IRA versus uh, you know what, what what type of investments you think would be smart to do that at, at different, different levels. Gotcha. Um, so let's, let's start that conversation with a conversation about a powerful tool called a SEP IRA. Are you familiar with what a SEP IRA is? Yes. So, um, so if you have self-employment income from your medical practice or from whatever it is you do, you can put away quite a considerable chunk of money into an IRA in what is called a SEP IRA. And you can contribute, I think the current limit is up to $54,000 per year. Uh, and that's dependent on your level of self-employment income that you're receiving. But that's a good way to get a lot of money into an IRA fairly quickly. And then you can then use that as a self-directed IRA and invest in these types of things that we're talking about. Uh, as far as what types of assets to invest in for medical professionals. A lot of my medical professionals really like real estate, which isn't surprising. Uh, but, you know, they can be busy people. So maybe hunting down single family homes and finding the right one and getting the best deal is not really conducive to their time they have available. I see a lot of them invest in LLCs that are buying large multifamily properties. That's a pretty popular way to invest in a self-directed IRA. And you can still get the pretty good solid returns of real estate and have that underlying asset, the real estate, but you don't have to really put as much time into it. So for busy professionals, that's a very popular strategy. Yeah. And, and I, and I like that a lot. So, uh, um, so Adam, in, in your opinion, um, do you feel like doctors and medical professionals and CEOs, they should be looking into self-directing, uh, 
in, in, in their retirement plans and individual retirement plans? Uh, I believe that that is definitely an option they can consider. And there are some really good aspects of it. There are also some pitfalls to watch out for, and you got to be aware of the tax consequences. But, you know, if you take all that into account, you know, uh, it's good to get a tax deduction for your IRA contribution and then to be able to invest that money in a way that's going to grow. So if you consider all of the aspects of the situation and it makes sense given your market and what investment opportunities you have available, then it can be a good strategy. Let's see. I know, uh, I know you're a big fan of networking, Adam, and, and you like to like to meet people. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things, uh, you know, especially a lot of people have heard, uh, you know, in, especially in real estate, sometimes things go bad and there's some bad deals and bad people out there. How, how do you suggest uh, people find good deals like, you know, these single family homes and these LLCs we were talking about investing in multifamily. I mean, how would, uh, how would a busy professional go about finding, you know, deals like that? Well, absolutely. The best thing you can do is find groups to get involved with that uh, cater to people who are looking to invest and that are looking to invest in real estate or invest in other self-directed type assets. Um, I know you've got a good program going on here with your high speed alliance. And I know that you guys, you work with the best advisors you can find and you're able to kind of learn and grow together and figure out, you know, what's best for each person and what we uh, need to be doing as a community to build a legacy. Right. So that's, that's a great thing to be involved in. Uh, another thing would be if there's a, a local real estate group of some kind, I'm a member of a local real estate investment club here and I've met a lot of people and done a lot of networking through that group as well. Great. Uh, excellent. Um, so, you know, what are just, you know, what are the easiest ways for somebody to get started? Uh, you know, if they, if, if, if they like what we're talking about and they wanted to kind of get started, I mean, you know, what, what are, what are some real simple steps to kind of get into this? Well, uh, first thing you got to do is open an IRA, right? <laughs> so, um, no. Okay. So if we just want to, if we want to talk about. Like what's something real, real simple. Well, here's the simplest thing in the world would be investing in a REIT because those are available uh, real estate investment trusts. Those are available on the public market. But if you want to do something truly self-directed, um, I think a lot of people start out with private lending. Like they just network with other individuals they know. And let's say they have 25,000 in an IRA or maybe not even that much. And this individual says, I need money to put down for my down payment on this rental property. And so you lend them the money for their down payment or whatever it may be. So that's a, a real common way for people to get into it. Or if you've now you've got in that twenty-five to fifty thousand dollar range, uh, that's usually enough to get yourself into one of these LLCs that's investing in the larger properties if you know the right people. Right. Uh, very good point, and I, I totally agree with you. I think that's one of the easiest ways to get started. Um, in, in your experience and some of the deals that you've seen, I know, I know what we're used to seeing in our group, but just out of curiosity, you know, uh, do you see double digit returns in, in a lot of these deals that you do? Is that, is that yeah. possible to get double digit returns even today? Yeah, it is. I mean, Houston's a great market for it, so it's not that rare for me to see it. I'm not that surprised to hear you say that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think these, uh, 
these apartment complex deals that are going on here, they perform pretty well. And, mm -hmm. you know, people get paid back within a few years. And then beyond that, they're just getting additional earnings. And then they can yep. take that money and put it elsewhere. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very good. I, I totally agree. We we see that uh, is 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 really the norm. Um, uh, here I've got a question for you. Uh, as we were kind of talking about UB, UBTI, uh, do all CPAs understand UBTI, Adam? <laughs> uh, that feels like a loaded question. The answer <laughs> is definitely not. Um, actually. <laughs> You know, I don't actually know any other CPAs who understand uh, UBTI or do these 990T filing requirements. I know that they're out there, but I haven't met them. And, you know, I talked to these guys at Quest at a real estate meeting a while back, and this is how I actually got introduced to them because they're like, oh, man, we only ever knew one guy who did this, and he retired. And I was like, well, I do it. Yeah. And uh, ever since then, I get a phone call about three times a week from one of their clients. So yeah, good. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I teed that one up for you. Um, there are uh, surprisingly not 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 many accountants <laughs> do understand this. So um, uh, if 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 you're going to do this, which I totally think that that you should at least uh, look into it, uh, you will have to possibly get some accounting help uh, for your accountant. Uh, and, and, uh, we'll, 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 uh, Adam is, is very helpful and we'll, well, this is probably a good time. We're not quite there, but while we're at it, Adam, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, you know, uh, how, how would they do that? We'll, we'll put, we'll put everything in the show notes here, but what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, you're going to put the contact info in the show notes. They can call or email me anytime. I'm always available. Uh, they can talk to me. I won't charge you anything just to talk about your situation and make sure you're doing everything the right way. Um, and also, if you need help with this and this is something your accountant doesn't understand, I don't have to replace your accountant. I can just fill this role and talk to you about uh, UBTI and self-directed accounts and any required filings there. And you can leave your other stuff with your accountant. I'm happy to take it as well, of course. So. <laughs> uh, and, well, anything you need... Uh, Yes, sir. Anything you need, we can, we can give you a hand with it. So. Uh, very good. Well, you've been, uh, you've been real helpful. Uh, you answered a lot of, a lot of good questions for me and I, I, I appreciate that. So, uh, Adam, um, let's see, uh, do you have a, you have a favorite quote or a book you're reading or a favorite book? Yeah. So I didn't actually put this here. Uh, you're going to think I planted it. I didn't. This is one of my <laughs> favorite books right now. It's look yeah. mirrored. It's the magic of thinking big by, uh, David J. Schwartz, and it's actually a book from the 50s, and this guy talks about the power of attitude, right, and how your attitude really determines your outcome, and I think one of my favorite things that I've learned from that book is something that he says over and over again, and that's that action cures fear, so if you're afraid of doing something, the only way you're going to get past that fear is to just do whatever it is you're afraid of, and then it's going to seem like nothing, and then you get to feel victorious about it. I think to some extent that applies to our conversation. I think that investing is one of those things that people kind of stay away from if they don't understand it because it's like, oh, that's going to be hard. I don't want to deal with that. What if something goes wrong? What if I lose the money? Well, I mean, if you don't start investing eventually, you're not going to have the money anyway. So you might as well go ahead and start now and, <laughs> and get past that fear. That's what I say. Yeah. Oh, that's well said. Well said. Um, 
uh, I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, a young guy anymore, but I feel like I'm constantly learning new things. And um, especially, I didn't even know what UBTI was about two years ago. And so now, 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 now I've got to pay, pay some uh, UB, some UBIT, some UBIT. I got to pay some tax on the, on the income. Um, yes, okay. Sir. So, so Adam, what's your definition of freedom? What, what does that mean to you? That's a big question. I think freedom is something that's always been very important to me. And it's been something that I've really sought after. Um, as part of the reason that I wanted to move to a major metropolitan area like Houston, I came from a much small town kind of background and there just wasn't any opportunities there. So I think to me, freedom is having the opportunity to decide what you want to do for yourself and then doing it and not having to be held back by uh, the expectations of other people or by, um, by your own fears. So I think that's what it is to me. It's being able to decide for yourself what's best for you and then do it. Thank you. You've been listening to the High Speed Podcast. To read our blog and to learn more, visit our website at www.highspeedpodcast.com.